Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios. Between the links. <laughs> and now, your host, Mike Heck. <laughs> All right, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn has arrived, and that welcomes you to a brand new live edition of Between the Links here on MMAFighting.com. You never know what you're going to get with these live streams, but, uh, I am, as Esther said, Mike Hack. Thank you for checking out the show this week. Lots to discuss. And for all of you watching live with us right now, feel free to chime in with your thoughts on these questions, how you score these rounds as they happen. And, you know, the best comments, so to speak, you will see them on the screen before you right here. And with that out of the way, we're just going to get right into this thing. Let us introduce the combatants. It is a rematch from last week's program. First, let us introduce now the challenger. He lost the coveted btl title in a close battle last week introducing once again the deputy editor for mmafighting.com mr steve morocco welcome back sir thank you for having me uh i think pronunciation was my downfall for last week but i have a phonetic guide in front of me and i'm ready to take on the current champ there you go and that current champion makes his first official title defense right here right now the Longtime MMA journalist, the editor at large over at SureDog, Josh Gross, back on the show. How are you, Champ? I'm I'm doing very well, Mike. How are you? And to Steven, I think before we even start this thing, Steven has to pronounce Corey Anderson's opponent's name right now on the spot. <laughs> Anderson's opponent's name, Steven. His name is Daniel. Daniel is his name. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, well, there you go. I'm, I'm honored, back. Stephen, honored to be here with you once again to do this. So, looking forward to it. Well, it's good to have both of you gentlemen here once again. Let us get right into this thing because last week on this show we talked about where he might stand in this lightweight puzzle, and on Tuesday morning we heard from the man himself, Nathan Diaz, as he spoke with ESPN's Ariel Hawani for around 40 or so minutes. He had a lot to say about the. UFC 257 fight between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. Talked about how he laid out the blueprint on how to beat Conor McGregor. The two fighters in the lightweight division that he wants to fight, not in the lightweight division, and a whole lot more. He talked about a whole bunch of different things. Before we start breaking down some of the nitty-gritty in more detail, right off the bat, Josh, I want to start with you this week. What was your overall reaction from Nate's first interview in quite some time? Well, once again, I'm coming... Prepared. I, I didn't watch the interview, but I, I saw a lot of reports, and uh, I appreciate uh, that Nate Diaz likes to do the interviews with Ariel Hilwani and spends 40 minutes chatting with him. Um, you know, I, it, it sounded to me like Nate was talking about fighting at 170 and wanting an opponent who is winning and, and looking good. And, 
you know, all that was stuff that he said previously. I, I don't mean to like disrespect him or the interview he did with Ariel by not watching it, but you know, I tend to see how people talk about these interviews and I really sort of focus on that. I, I saw a lot of people picking up on, um, not, not, you know, the, the idea that Nate's calling these guys out at 170 and, and, you know, whether there's traction there, Charles Oliveira is already saying no. Um, you know, uh, Dustin Poirier is like, hey, that's cool. But it seems like 155 is where he's at. Nate's kind of interesting to me if, like, if I get a sense of what he said and, and, and knowing the position he's in and understanding that the UFC is now talking about doing welterweight on the ultimate fighter, but probably not including Nate Diaz, like, who's he going to fight at 170? So he's out here putting his name out. He's wanting to do this. He wants to be back. He wants to fight. All that stuff he's kind of said, but who? And that's that's the toughest thing. There's not a lot of matches for him. That's that's the one thing about his position right now that I'm kind of you know garnering from the reaction that I'm getting from people. What did you think of it, Stephen? I mean, whether you watch it or just, just just read different pieces about it, understandable either way. What did you think of uh, Nate's return to to speaking? I guess. Uh, well, I found it hard to follow. Uh, at times. And uh, I don't think I'm the only one. Sometimes it's it's kind of hard to follow where he's going with things um, and hard to follow his logic. Um, I did not make it all the way through uh, because of previously scheduled duties, but I disagree that there's no fights for him. I think there's plenty of fights for him. I think that's what the UFC has been trying to do is get him to take a fight for a long time. I think if it's just about opponents, that's clearly not from the way it's gone thus far, the only requirement to get a fight with Nate Diaz. There's a nexus between competition and what he finds interesting. And we had some conversations last week about what exactly interests him, whether that's competition or money. Um, I think it's both. I think it's a, a concept that he has about certain fighters that he has more respect for because perhaps of this, uh, the style that they bring to the octagon. Um, but it's also about, you know, fan interest, things that'll get the fans going and, you know, I- ideally help his brand and help his bottom line. Um, I don't know his contract, so I don't know if he directly benefits from, you know, more buys or not. But um, Nate Diaz says a lot of stuff uh, and he said a lot of stuff. It has not translated always to actionable uh, moves. Uh, they, I don't know what exactly the purpose of it was other than to basically say, Hey, I'm here. I'm ready to go. I think there are some matchups that are interesting to me. Um, both of which are on my terms, meaning that they're at 155 pounds and they've already been turned down, um, in the way that he wants them. That's going to be the way it's going to be. You know, if you have fighters who are thinking more from a competitive standpoint and say, look, you know, we're lightweights, you know, we want to get the title, but um, really it's just a matter of him making a decision and, and, you know, coming, coming to a meeting of the minds with the UFC because um, he, he gets offered a lot of opponents and he doesn't take them for whatever reason. Why, why are you laughing at me? Why are you laughing at this? Gross? I'm just stretching my neck, Steven. Don't worry about it. Keep going. Come on. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that he's a he's a tough guy to pin down and nothing about that changed after that interview. All right. Yeah. So kind of going back. Yes. I mean, kind of going back to all that, Stephen, Nate, 
you know, when Nate does these interviews, like you said, I think some of the reaction is just like he's all over the place. But in a weird kind of shrewd way, he always plants these seeds like and they're kind of brilliant when you really think about them. This time around, I'm not really sure. Like he calls out Dustin, which isn't really a surprising development. Then he calls out Charles Oliveira, which I thought was a pretty surprising development. But the big caveat, like we mentioned, he's done at 55. He wants these fights at 65 or 70. So did Nate whiff here? Did he miss? Do you think so? Just considering like what's realistic and what's not like how likely do either of these fights happen? I just, I, I look, I, I, I have to say, I couldn't get over the fact that he kept saying I've never been finished. Does he not remember Josh Thompson? Like he got <laughs> finished with a head kick, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a legitimate finish. And he has this tendency to just say, you know, nobody's around and nobody's available and nobody's good. And I get that to a, a certain extent, you know, like I said, it's not just about competition. It's about whom he deems relevant and whom he deems worthy. And that, I think, changes from moment to moment. Changes in, in terms of the way he's approached, in terms of the, 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 the buzz that it's getting from the fans. So I don't know if he whiffed it so much as that he didn't make it any more clear than what we can all discern from looking at the landscape. The good news is that he's in the conversation regardless. He still, get, he still gets called out because fighting and beating Nate Diaz is a sure way to elevate your brand and to elevate your earning power. power. Josh, we saw a couple of tweets from Poirier on Tuesday, and he said, you know, fighting near my natural weight class? Sure, that sounds like a good idea. But like you said, Charles Oliveira goes on Twitter earlier today, and he says, status, no interest, homie. Goal is the lightweight title. Did Charles Oliveira make a mistake? Because we talked about it on the show last week, him not fighting Michael Chandler, while we agree, was not a terrible decision taking those fights on short notice when you're so close to the belt. Oftentimes, the UFC likes to punish these guys. Oliveira may sort of get back to the bottom of the pile, so to speak. A fight with Nate Diaz at 170? Doesn't seem like a terrible idea to me. What did, what did you think of Oliveira just shutting that down? I think he knows what he wants. He wants a lightweight championship and you're not going to get it fighting Nate Diaz at 170. I, I think Dana White came out and said that he was totally fine with Oliveira's decision, like totally understandable. You want a full camp. I get it. And, you know, it's interesting to hear Dana say that. And I, I do feel like, like I said in my first comment, like in a way, Nate put himself in a box here, right? Because there's not a lot of names you can put on a poster with Nate Diaz that makes sense. And yes, he can conjure these fights and he can sort of make them out of the blue. But like you said, he didn't really do that this time. So, you know, what did he do? I think he expressed that he wants to fight name opponents that are like on a good run. He doesn't want to fight a name, a guy who's lost a couple fights here or there. He's pretty dismissive of Conor McGregor, if I understand. And and privately and like speaking with his team, he's that way. It's not like he's saying this publicly to, to spite Conor or anything. He's just not interested in that because he doesn't think that that's the most competitive fight. And there is this psyche. And again, I talked about it last week with, with Nate and Nick and, and sort of that clan that they have this mindset and this code that matters to them. And that's a big piece of the roadmap to their decision-making. And I think we're seeing it unfold here. And sometimes for us normal people, we don't understand it. We don't see where they're going. They think they know where they are before they get there and they have their path. And you know what? A lot of times it's worked out for them. So who's he going to fight at 170? George Moss would all make sense, right? I don't know if there's any truth to the idea that Moss would all may go with Covington on the ultimate fighter. 
there's not a lot of names there that make sense for him. And there's not a lot of welterweights that actually match up well with him because he doesn't want to fight the guys at 55 who could wrestle and grapple. Right. We saw that. We know what happens. There's going to be no different if he does that at 170. I think, I mean, I think so uh, the, the, the types of opponents he can have the stylistic kind of fight and sort of that name recognition, that B side, because Nate is an A side, 100%. He gets pay-per-view. He can carry pay-per-views for the UFC. He does business for them. That B side is really important with him, though. And so 170, it does seem like you have to pick and choose real lightly. Maybe a winner of a fight that's coming up, we can ma- make some sense and, and do it. But right now, it does feel like a muddled landscape for Nate. What, what do you think, Stephen? Because like like we said, uh, Oliveira might have gotten himself in trouble. Dana can say whatever he wants, and let's be honest, 90% of what Dana says isn't actually true. Like, let's, I mean, he's contradicted himself so many times over the years. What? I don't personally blame Oliveira for, 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 for any of this. Oliveira saying no to Chandler, I have no problem with it. But when you have a guy like Nate calling you out, I actually thought he did Oliveira a favor here. Like, I understand he wants to fight for the title, and it's risky, but it seems like this is a fight that Oliveira could do very, very well with. Should he have just jumped on this and then entered the the, the 55 fray after that? Because something tells you there's going to be time to jump right back into that conversation. There's a lot of unknowns you introduce to the, to the equation by taking a fight at 170 against a guy that's not in your division. It may be popular and may elevate your brand, but... There's just a lot of different ways this thing can go sideways. You could get injured in training camp and blow your knee out and spend a year on the sidelines. You know, there's, you know, there somebody else could come up and and get that opportunity from you. There's quite obviously a lot of people chomping at the bit to get that, uh, to, to to get to the top at 155. So I completely understand Oliveira's rationale. He's obviously more interested in the competition of things than just going off and you know, making some cash and, and getting a lot of eyeballs. And I respect that. And not only do I respect that, but I respect Dana's comment that he's not going to go to the back of the line because he turned down a short notice fight. I appreciated that distinction that he said, he just turned out a short notice fight, not, not the actual fight. And we're not going to hold that against him. Now, that being said, this is a fluid situation. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think that, um, Oliveira has paid his dues and then some, and I think he deserves an opportunity, if not in his next fight, then the fight before anything that's getting going to get in the way of that, I think is counterproductive. Steven, based on this information that we have here on what he said, everything in play. And I think Josh makes some great points. If he fights at 170. Who's he going to fight? I mean, there's Mazadal and listen, I understand that some fans are upset about the finish of that fight. Mazadal beat him up start to finish. This is a one-sided fight. So when that was being rumored, I didn't think there were a lot of people overly excited to see it again. Sure, some casual fans are excited about it. I mean, if you look at the other guys, like Josh Bennett, you got Mazadal, you got, I mean, you got Colby, other guys. I mean, not a lot probably interests him at 170 at this point. So if you were a betting man, would you bet more on the fact that he's going to fight one, two, or he says he might even fight four times in 2021, or he doesn't fight at all in 2021? He will not for, fight four times in 2021. He will not fight 20, four times in 2020. It's just, it, it's will, just will he fight it all, though? Will he fight it all, though? I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't speak Nate Diaz like Josh does. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say he's going to fight. Who, um, 
I like the Masvidal reboot. There's that's an easily sellable rematch. And after the the break that both guys have had, it sort of puts them back, you know, in the minds of fans and gets 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 fans excited about them again. Um, so I think that's a totally decent thing. I wouldn't mind the Connor trilogy, although it doesn't doesn't seem like they're going that direction. Um, and I wouldn't mind seeing Dustin at at, at one seventy either. Um, if I were to bet which one, I'd say it would be between. Masvidal and McGregor, but I don't know. Josh, you seem confident that that Nate may fight. I don't know if it's just the nodding or you were just agreeing with Stephen. But do you think he fights in twenty twenty one? With everything we've learned here, I, I think he definitely fights in twenty twenty one. I mean, he wants to fight by the spring, sometime in the spring, is my understanding. Uh, but I, I think he'll definitely compete this year. Four times seems like no way. Uh, who competes four times unless you're a, you know someone who's just really doesn't. No, nobody knows you and you just get the opportunity to fight four times and you're winning and you, you get a lot of opportunities. We see like a Kevin Holland or, you know, sort of these crazy streaks. That's not what Nate Diaz is in his career. I don't know who he fights at 170. I mean, you know, Masvidal fine. They have that thing. And it's that, you know, there's some feel like there, some people feel like maybe there needs to be a continuation there. I'm just looking at the names. There's not a lot of interesting names that jump out to me. You're not going to match him with like a Vicente Luque, right? It's like, you're not going to put him in there with a Jeff Neal type. Steven Thompson, Wonder Boy Fifers, Nate Diaz. Is that interest to anybody? That, you know, you're going to need something like that. I, I don't know where he goes. If 155 is done and he's sick of making weight and doesn't want to do it, he's got to deal with, with fighting in a weight class that's maybe not as deep for him, uh, not as compelling for him. But, you know, his star power still matters. So it, it, it'll work here and there. They'll figure something out. But I, I, think, I think Nate will surely fight, man. He's making noise about it. He's doing the interviews about it. He, he's going to fight in 2021, I think, pretty soon. If you really want to prod at Colby Covington, if you're Jorge Masvidal, you push for this Diaz fight. And if it books and Covington doesn't get that fight, oh, man, that man's going to go on a rampage. But uh, listen, what we've learned is no matter what he says, it drums up a lot of interest. And that's what creates a star. Nate Diaz is a star. Whether he wins, loses, he just gets it. And we'll see what happens with this situation. But we will move ahead. The point for round one goes to... The champ, Josh Gross, on the board. Thank you. Steve, early ahead this call. time. You got round one <laughs> last time. I get round one this time. Let's see what happens. It's a bad call. It's rigged. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. 
That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Steven, you know this for sure. You're two you're two and oh when you lose the first question. Okay. That's good to know. I didn't know that. There you go. You're two and oh when you lose the first question. As we uh head to the second question, UFC Vegas 18. It's officially in the books. We saw some big time performances in the main and co-main events. We're gonna start at the main event and then dive in a little deeper with co-main. Steve, we're gonna begin with you. Alexander Volkov absolutely runs through Alistair Overeem, had him in some big trouble early, continued on into the second round, and Jason Herzog stopped it at the perfect time. It was a massive win for Drago. He looked sensational. What did you think of his performance, Stephen? Do we have a new major player in the heavyweight division? Possibly. I tend to feel the way about Volkov that I do just a little bit about Stefan Struve. And let me explain myself. When Volkov is using his natural gifts to their fullest extent, he's a he's a real tough tough out for a lot of people. Um, I also think he fought a guy who is on the tail end of his career. Um, I don't think that Overeem. I mean, I think it's quite obvious that Overeem can't withstand. Um, the level of damage that he was before um, and the game plan that he had to mitigate that um, wasn't good enough um, and wasn't enough to overcome his sort of natural deficit at this point. Um, Volkov has some really good weapons. He's really good. If he keeps you at distance and he works from the outside, uh, picks his shots, is very talented. If he does that, then we have uh, a player. But I also think about a guy who's who has a lot of wear and tear. Um, I see some speed issues if he's going to get to the higher levels of the division. Um, and, you know, he's not, to me, terribly athletic um, when, I look, when I look at him versus some of the other top heavyweights out there. Um, and then combined with you know, his overall skill set versus those, you know, that of a, a Naganu or uh Miocic. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure he's gonna be able to do to 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 get out of those uh successful unless unless he does what he does really well and and keeps the guys at distance, uses his range, uses footwork, you know, kicks them to death and uh and gets a decision. So um, you know, I could be proven wrong. Um, you know, depending on what what he does in these uh, in his next fight, whether he fights the winner of uh, Gagne Rosenstruck or uh, you know somebody else, but um, 
I tend to think of him as somebody who's going to struggle against the top, the top, top guys. What did you think, Josh? Because one thing I kept seeing was, you know, Volkov looked good. He's a huge guy, but Overeem wasn't all there. He didn't seem at all ready for the fight. And it's not quite to the level of what we saw with like Poirier McGregor, but it does seem in some circles that Volkov isn't necessarily getting the, the love he deserves for this victory. What are your thoughts on this and his performance overall? Yeah, well, I certainly doubted him coming in. I, I would picked Overeem on this show. I said I thought Overeem would continue forward in his career and, and make that run. Clearly didn't happen. And I credit Volkov for that less, you know, sort of an indictment of Alistair Overeem at this point. He's an older fighter, and we know that the drop-off from looking competent and being a threat to falling off the cliff is just a little slip, just a little slip. And, you know, that may have been a, a factor here, but even if not – uh, Volkov was able to use his strengths. I think Stephen pointed out well, right? So he's a long fighter when he can jab and keep it really tight, throw the long one, two, it works in his favor. And it certainly did against Overeem. Overeem was busted up pretty early, didn't show up, had a difficult time regrouping, and there was no threat of a takedown, right? So stylistically with Volkov, I think one of the reasons that I have doubted him and, and look, I was doing the noob thing, right? I was like, he's a Bellator champ. He must, he must stink. Like he's not that good. Really. He's kind of been up and down the UFC. I, I haven't seen enough of him. I thought Alistair had enough to get by. He didn't, but there are much tougher tests. I think we uh, know that in the heavyweight division. I love the idea. I think Joseph, the commenter brought it up earlier a couple minutes ago saying, I want to see him fight the Cyril Gane winner against Rosenstrike. That that's a fantastic step up. For Volkov, a real, uh, I think, uh, fight that puts him in uh, front and center for fans. This is a heavyweight contender if he wins this fight. Stylistically, uh, also very attractive. He's not like he we're asking him to fight Curtis Blades. That's bad. But the, the, the reality is that he's going to have to deal with fighters like Blades, you would think. He's going to have to deal with that before we talk about him as a legitimate heavyweight championship contender in the UFC. Uh, and so there are still questions out on him. Um, but this was a massive victory for him, a big step forward, and now puts him in a position to, to fight in a bout that people can legitimately say, you know, this is for the number one contendership in the heavyweight division. There is some space at the top. We know the championship fight's coming. We know John Jones is right there. There's no rush. So give him that chance to get that next fight and prove it. Uh, he may do it. I, I, I'm, I'm with Steven. I still have my doubts on the guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually thought the Blades fight, he lost that one and it was pretty convincing, but he showed, I mean, even in the fourth round, he took, he took Curtis Blades down late in that fight, which I thought was pretty interesting. And he knew he needed to put on some size. He definitely did. He's not weighing 247 on the scale anymore. He's weighing 265 on the scale. And you saw it in the Walt Harris fight. You saw it in the Alistair Overeem fight. So he's definitely coming along. I, I do want to touch briefly on Alistair Overeem, Josh, because you, we, we talked about this the last couple of weeks. Win or lose, you, we, we all think he's going to keep going. Uh, he did come out and make a statement after. It doesn't seem like he's going anywhere. But after watching that performance, has your stance changed on that? Do you think he does come back? Uh, I'm, I'm going to respect Alistair and, and listen to what he says and say, yes, he's going to do what he says. Um, you know, we get into trouble sometimes, but the conversations need to be had, you know, should. Should you come back? You know, is is what's the cost benefit here? What what are we talking about? But again, this is someone who's done his entire adult life. This is his profession. He's an expert at this. He understands his body, and he's making his own choices. I I think we've seen the last of Alistair as a heavyweight contender in the UFC. 
I think the idea that somehow he's going to end his career as a UFC heavyweight champion, that is past. But again, you know, like saying something and then actually going out and, and, and doing it sometimes are, are different things. And if he feels like he's got that left in him, you know, still very early from the Volkov fight, you give him two weeks to think about it. He's a pretty smart guy, cerebral guy. He'll go through things. He'll talk to people around him. Um, I think this comes down to him not wanting to go out this way. And so he's going to give himself one more chance to fight. And if it ends up badly for him, he's done. And if he wins, he'll continue. To me, that's the way that he thinks. And I imagine that's really what's happening with him at this moment. What do you think, Stephen? And I mean, you have kind of talked about guys getting knocked out and having careers and, you know, what has happened since then. And Alistair Overeem has been knocked out many times in his career, but the guy still has his wits about him. He still wants to get in there and fight. And that's great. And I think I agree with Josh when he says he's not a, he's not a heavyweight anymore so i think if they want to do like fun fights for him like if Derek lewis loses to curtis blades i think that's an that that's a fun fight but no more prospects no more augusto sakai's no more guys like that who are on these surges no more no alexander romanoff's like we don't want to see guys like that we want to see like fun fights like legend kind of fights but what do you think do you think we see him again unfortunately yes i mean this is combat sports people generally stick around too long um, he has been knocked out 15 times in his career. He has been knocked out six times, no, five times in the last five years. And these were not, you know, these were brutal knockouts. He might his wits about him now, um, but that's, that's not what this is about. This is about his life 10 years, 20 years down the road. And I can't presume to know what's going to happen, you know, then. He might not have any ill effects. He might. We just don't know. If he is going to come back, my personal feeling is that, you know, it, it should be, like you said, fun fights. He'd be a perfect candidate for, like, you know, Bellator circa 2014, 2015, 2016. Like, put him against an, uh, another with a name. Let him do his thing. Uh, go out on a big uh, victory. Um, and then call it a career. Um, sadly, I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I mean, I would hope that he would he would do one more run, and the next big setback um, would be his last. But yeah, what's what's what does he have left to prove? He he's he's won three. He won the Dream Belt. He won the Strike Force Belt. He won the uh, the K one Grand Prix, and those are all amazing accomplishments. Um, he will be. He will go down in history as a legend uh, of the sport and the heavy, heavyweight division in particular. Um, so I hope that he keeps that in mind um, when he decides his next move. All right. So I, I do want to discuss the co-main event because, good God Almighty, Corey Sandhagen knocked out Frankie Edgar. Just an incredible flying knee. It was a scary situation, and as bad as we all felt for Frankie Edgar. What a moment it was for Corey Sanhagen. Does it in under 30 seconds? But it begs the big question coming out of that event, Josh Gross. Where does Sanhagen now fit in this championship conversation? Like, does he become the biggest Piotr Jan fan on planet Earth considering what happened against Aljamain Sterling over the summer? Or does it not matter either way? Yeah, I'm not sure that it matters because if Aljamain wins that fight, I mean, is there an obvious next contender that's not Sanhagen? I 
I, you know, I think that that division is exciting and intriguing as it is. It's kind of also a mess. Um, I, I don't know. The other only other fight that you could say that uh, Corey Sandhagen should take is maybe Rob Font. And, you know, I don't I don't I'm not sure that, that fight makes the most sense. Um, so, yeah, it seems like he's next in line here. Um, he's going to have to answer for a lot for the Aljamain Sterling fight. And if Sterling wins that fight, it's certainly not going to be the easiest first title defense to market or sell. But considering the way that he's looked, the, the Marlon Marias victory was incredible and beautiful. And this one too, those kinds of performances, you can't just like f- dismiss. They're, they're worth a lot. They're not just regular wins. And so, yeah, if he gets a title fight next, r- whether it's Jan or Sterling, I think that makes sense. He's probably rooting for Peter Jan. Um, much more interesting fight, I think, for a lot of people. And, and if he's going to fight Aljamain next, you know, maybe he wants to do it as champion. I'm sure he'll want it either way. Um, but, uh, you know, he's – man, he styles on people. I mean, that the Marias victory and then following up with the way he did to what he did to Frankie Edgar, that's incredible stuff. And you don't see a lot of fighters in the, in the course of their careers pulling off back-to-back victories like that. Um, so he's, he's kind of right there and you can't deny him as far as the next number one. All right. What do you think, Stephen? Because for long time fans of this sport, and I think both of you can respect this, we understand that the word deserves is kind of an evil word in, in our circles. We have, I mean, we have the TJ Dillashaw factor trying to weigh if it's fair to give him a title shot after, you know, the USADA suspension and being stripped of the title. Josh is throwing the big fat X. <laughs> no. I mean, what, what I Since thought was when interesting does it make a difference? What I thought was interesting about, and if you haven't seen it yet, Corey Sanhagen spoke to our, our own right. David Martin. He wants to fight TJ Dillashaw for the sole purpose to make sure that Dillashaw doesn't skip the line. So what do you think happens here? Like, do you think Sanhagen gets a next title shot or do you think he's going to have to fight TJ to get it? <laughs> it could awesome. very well happen that way. What, what, what were you saying? I was saying that's awesome that Corey Sandhagen's a, a madman. That's that's I love that. That's <laughs> I, I I I couldn't agree more. Um, and it speaks to his intelligence about the way things really work in the sport. Um, he doesn't have the same name value as a Dillashaw or a Garbrandt. Um, and no matter how impressive he is, um, there when, when the rubber meets the road and they're deciding who they want to go with next. Um, impact, reach, audience, whether through social metrics um, or otherwise, those things do matter, um, probably more than we'd like them to at points. So whoever wins, Aljamain or Yan, um, I, would, I would think that a fight between Dillashaw and Sanhagen would make sense. I don't think it's necessarily correct. I don't think it's the right message to send, first of all, after a guy that's coming off a two-year suspension for EPO. But the sport being what it is and the way that the promotion tends to operate, you know, it's something that I, I get. And I think that um, Sanhagen is, uh, would definitely solidify himself um, as the rightful contender if he chose to do that. That being said... He deserves it on, on its on on his own, and um, he should be the next title contender. Um, but yeah, uh, if, if if he goes and fights uh, Dillashaw, then there are no more arguments. We have one more quick hit on this event, but I, I am curious to ask both of you this question. This has nothing to do with the scoring. 
because both of you have watched lots and lots of fights over the years. And I think comparing these two, we know which one had more of an impact. It's clearly going to be the latter. But Stephen, let me ask you, which flying knee was more impressive in your mind, Sanhagen's or Jorge Mazadal's over Ben Askren? Uh, impressive in different ways. I mean, it took five seconds for the Masvidal one, so I think you gotta you gotta you gotta give it to that. Um, although impressive, the fact that it was uh, merely a time thing is uh, counteracted by the fact that there was almost four. I mean, not even almost. There was foreknowledge of this. He was planning for this. He knew Askren was going to shoot. So he's do you give him credit for being somewhat clairvoyant or do you give Sanhagen credit for strategically playing uh, Edgar into his hand by drawing him in to that, that flying knee? It took a little bit longer, but you, there, I think there's a strong argument for the latter because Frankie Edgar is not an easy guy to hit. He did get dropped a lot in his early career. Like he got, it was kind of a thing. You know, he would get dropped early and then he would fight his way back. It's really hard to finish him though. He he has a lot of, he moves really fast. He's got great speed. He gets in and out and he, and he's, and he's hard to put away. And the fact that he is getting put away later, you know, at this point, I think speaks more to, just the fact that he's been in the game for so long, he's got a, a lot of miles on his body and he might be, you know, coming toward the, the tail end of his career. But uh, as I'm thinking about this, I, I, I would say there's probably a stronger way, a stronger argument for Sanhagen given Frankie Edgar's reputation relative to Ben Askren. I don't think anybody was in any under, uh, under any illusion that Ben Askren was going to shoot uh, on, on, on Masvidal. So the fact that he did was, you know, not a huge surprise. And you can say that, okay, well, he basically played the odds and the odds were in his favor. But the odds of knocking Frankie out uh, with a flying knee, not high, I would, I would venture to say. So I'm going to go with Sanhig. Uh, what, <laughs> uh, what, what do you think, Josh? Because listen, both these knockouts are amazing. Both these flying knees are unbelievable. They're be on highlight real videos forever and ever. It's like if you won a million dollars in the lottery two different times, it's like saying like which day was better. Like I won it on a Thursday or I won it on a Saturday. They're both awesome in their own ways. Just one happened in a different way than the other. Which one was like more impressive to you? Was it the Sanhagen flying knee or the Mazadal flying knee? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm going to just say, first of all, like the flying knee knockouts that we've seen in mixed martial arts that we immediately start remembering, they're all incredible in their own ways. And it's super hard for me to judge one over another. This, this was like a conversation on Twitter in the wake of the Sanhagen uh, knockout. Uh, to me, the obvious answer is George Mosvidal. There's absolutely no question that it's George Mosvidal. When people think of Ben Askren, that knockout is probably the first thing they think of. When they think of George Mosvidal, for a lot of people, that's the, that's the first thing they're going to think of. And there's a lot of people who have that thought and remember it. And that turned into a meme. And it was like circulated in the zeitgeist. That that moment in time, five seconds, doing it, planning it out. I give him all the credit in the world for planning it out and foreseeing it and not improvising it as gorgeous and as uh, artistic as Sanhagen's was. Um, to plan for it, see it, execute it, and then for the world to talk about it 
uh, it, there's no question that's the Masvidal's uh, knockout is, is the one that stands out to me. And there's nothing to diminish San Diego. And it was incredible. But no one is going to remember this in the catalog of Frankie Edgar's career. Okay. Like Frankie Edgar accomplished so much and did so much. And, and maybe this gets brought up at the end as a footnote when he got knocked out bad by San Diego. But it's absolutely not the first thing they're talking about and not the 10th thing they're talking about. With Ben Askren, it's probably either this or the Jake Paul fight or like the, the top two things that they're going to talk about with Ben Askren's career. And I'm guessing it's this Mosfidal knockout. So for me, that's that that's it. All right. One last thing on this event. We had some great performances on Saturday, some good scraps. Uh, real quick, Josh, who is your, I don't know, 10th player award winner from UFC Vegas 18, like the unsung hero of the card? Um, I'm going to have to look at the card, but um, I'll tell you what, there was, there, I, I, I have no problem saying that whatsoever. Um, you know, can I give two? I mean, it's not even a 10th player. It's like 1A, 1B. The Dariush Ferrer fight was so good, man. Um, that was just an awesome display. It delivered on everything that we wanted to deliver. And, and Dariush, that, that that was a resounding performance. And the, the way that they conducted themselves during the fight, after the fight, uh, everything about that was the best of mixed martial arts. And uh, to me, that that's the one thing that stood out above all else in this card outside of the San Hagen knockout. And um, I, I really give credit to both those guys. That's a good answer right there. Steven, what say you? Um, I'm going to go Pentoja. You know, Menel Cape came in. Um, that classic thing that... Uh, grizzled MMA fans like us love, you know, an outside champion coming in to see how he does in the UFC. And um, Pantoja showed him no respect and took, basically ran away with a ball. Um, Just outworked him. Uh, Manel banked a little bit too much on getting that one, that quick hit. And before you know it, he was way down in the the scorecards. And I think, you know, further and further removed from... uh, comfortability and um and in the end lost on a lost a decision so you know props to pantoja for taking uh, a heavily hyped guy and showing the world that he's still got some uh, development to do beating him on the feet too which is super impressive i just thought i thought he just he studied Manel cape so well he knew Manel cape was was a tremendous trap setter and didn't fall for any of them he did a great job staying patient and just sticking with his game and not getting lured into a firefight which is uh really impressive so i like both those answers but uh what is next for the ufc is their second pay-per-view event of the year saturday in las vegas that is what we'll be discussing next but the point for round two goes to Drum roll. Do we have a drum roll? <laughs> hey. oh. <laughs> it's going to Stephen Morocco. Good God. There you go. A point for Morocco. One to one. What a tremendous battle. I love it. No fanfare, no celebratory music. There it is. <laughs> there it is. I don't need it. Don't need it. Don't want uh, it. Don't need it. Don't need the it. validation. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we got UFC 258 coming up on Saturday and the welterweight title is on the line in the main events between Kamar Usman and Gilbert Burns, former teammates, pretty interesting matchup for sure. But I don't know, Josh Gross, as much as my fan hat goes on when it comes to this matchup, I want to see how it goes down the chess match, all that stuff. I don't know, man. Doesn't seem to be a lot of buzz this week. 
Is it just me or are you sort of experiencing this yourself? Um, I asked the question on Twitter, you know, what's your interest in this fight? And I made it specifically not about UFC 258, but about this fight. Um, it was, you got across the spectrum, wide range response. There's people who are straight off the bat, zero. I have, couldn't care less. And there were people who were super amped for this fight. Uh, and I think that's sort of Kamar Usman's polarization uh, realized. Um, you know, some people watch him and respect his competitiveness and his uh, tenacious way of fighting and the way that he grinds on people and respect it and say he shuts down great fighters. And you know what? He gets some good finishes, too. Uh, I'm certainly in that group of people who respect what he does in the cage. And then you have people who are just bored to tears. Uh, and the fact of the matter is this card is super expensive, 70 bucks. And it's the second $70 card of the year. The first one, hey, we had to buy it was Conor McGregor. People are asking themselves after that first experience, uh, you know, looking at the undercard, uh, the main event may or may not tickle. The, there's a lot of people who probably are not going to pay for this event, I think. I think it's a real difficult uh, thing for people to – Decide, you know, I, I got a bunch of responses saying, no, I'm, this is not this is too much for me. I can't do it right now. So um, I, I am feeling a disconcern about this fight. You know, this I, I think the fans are, are feeling like ah, this is a great fight. I know that Gilbert Burns and Kamara Usman is probably going to be a fight I need to watch, but I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get myself to watch it. I'm not sure we're going to hear Dana White saying this fight's trending to break records. And so there is a confused audience. Uh, they're not quite sure what to do this Saturday night, Mike. I, I, I'm not sure how they're going to respond to it. But Kamar Usman, he's a polarizing figure in the cage, the way he fights. Some people hate it. Some people really respect it. Um, but he's earned his reputation. And, and we're going to see whether they're going to want to tune in for what I think will be a highly competitive, entertaining fight. But the rest of the card, it, it doesn't it doesn't measure up to a pay-per-view. I said it last week, and it's more so this week. We lost Pedro Munoz uh, against Jimmy Rivera. So uh, I think it's a tough sell. Steve, what say you? Is, is this main event giving uh, fans from your social circle that oomph you would expect for a, a title fight like this in a division like this? My social circle? I write about media MMA circle, all day. So speak. Like, oh, okay. social media circle. Okay. <laughs> Uh, well, if we're talking about my friends, my, my, my folks are not tweeting or, or texting me uh, about this fight. They're not saying, hey, is Kamaru Usman fighting on Saturday? Um, that is one highly imperfect gauge of my, uh, the general interest level in a pay-per-view fight. No, it's not there. Um, it's not unlike, you know, Kamaru is not unlike George St. Pierre in his heyday. Um, a guy who was dominant. Um, but not altogether exciting at times, effective, but not exciting. Um, and I think with Kamaru, the thing with him is when he pops is when you give him somebody, somebody to play off of him. And Colby Covington was the perfect example of that because you have the MAGA gimmick, um, and all the heat that he built up, built up before that fight, um, doing his shtick, calling out the champ, you know, being the general uh, nuisance that he was. And then you have Masvidal, uh, who's coming off that insane knockout BMF. Um, it makes sense. That's what gets fans excited. Um, it's, it's the personalities. It's the star. It's a star-driven uh, sport. And 
Kamaru is not that guy. Um, he's a competitor. He's a fierce competitor. He's amazingly talented. He's 17 and one as a professional, and he makes a lot of really good fighters look very average. But this is a starter in sport. It's the reason why um, Jose Canseco and Britton Hart and Paige Van Zandt trounced traffic for UFC Vegas 18. It wasn't even close. Um, so this sport is about, you know, stars and, and, and storylines and personalities. And these guys are former teammates who don't necessarily dislike each other, who respect each other, um, who plan to give it their all in the cage. And that's just not really a, a recipe for a, a blockbuster. Combine that with the fact that you look at the preliminary card um, and there's just, you know, it, it is a tough sell. And, and you know, pre-COVID times, you could make the argument that you throw in your five bucks or your 10 bucks and it's not that bad of a deal. Um, but now I think people are watching a lot differently than uh, what they were. And like Josh said, with a $70, $70 price tag, um, yeah, I, I think this is not going to be one that um, that breaks the bank, so to speak. All right, so some some things have just happened while this conversation has been going down, um, and, and it kind of brings up a question that a buddy of mine texted me, and then I'll reveal what is going on. Uh, he watches the sport all the time, and it goes along something like that I've said for the last five or six months, and his text was, what do you think of the title fight? And then the second question was, is welterweight a bad division? Now, I understand this question in a way, not from a talent standpoint, because there's a lot of it. But just like look at the top of the division. There's some studs, there's some draws, some really good fighters. But even with all of this talent, Walterweight has has not given us much since July when Usman beat Mazadal. And that didn't leave a great taste in people's mouths. We got we got Covington Woodley, then we got Wonderboy Jeff Neal, we got Kiesa versus Magni. And now we just found out that Hamza Shamaya versus Leon Edwards is off the March 13th card. So that was a big welterweight really? fight. Kind of get this thing going. ESPN is reporting this. Dana White told Oof. ESPN that the fight is off. Still COVID stuff for, for Shamayev. He hasn't been able to, to recover. So I, I guess my question with all this in here, Stephen, is although it's this fight is not getting that, oh my God, we have to spend $70 to watch this kind of buzz. This is now a super important fight to get this thing moving along a bit. Isn't, like, isn't that the case here? Get, get what moving along? The division. We have not like we've gotten nothing since July, really, outside of Covington Woodley. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I have a whole lot of it. It it, it was important, uh, and it is important uh, to move along the division. And you know, the comes out fight getting lost. Man, that that fight just seems snake bitten. Um, but you know, th there are other guys like you said, like you mentioned, Kiesa. Um, Thompson, um, I think Vicente Luque is, is, is a dark horse. Um, and then you have Chemayev, uh, who could return at any time and, uh, take over the conversation. Um, this fight was, uh, between Burns and Usman was already delayed once from, uh, this past December. Twice. Um, tw yeah. And then once before that, uh, 
So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure how to answer that other than to say then, yeah, I mean, you know, typically champs defend, you know, twice a year. Um, he defended, we're a little bit behind schedule, but Usman will come out from this fight. Um, if Edwards and Shemaev is, is uh, postponed, it depends on how long it's going to be postponed. And then you have uh, Covington and Masvidal pro- possibly on deck for maybe first second quarter maybe or maybe the summer card so we i think we're a little bit behind schedule but you know i I think i think the welterweight division is going to be fine that's that's the best argument i have right now josh kind of in that same respect especially with what we've just learned now What's better? What outcome on Saturday is like better for business, in your opinion? Is it Usman continuing on as champion, being this unbeatable guy, or is it Gilbert Burns coming in, pulling off an upset? I think he's close to a three to one underdog right now against his former teammate and becoming the first, I believe, the very first Brazilian welterweight champion in UFC history. What do you think is like has the better sort of afterglow? I don't know that there's a real discernible difference. I'm not sure that either guy coming off this victory would be able that the UFC would all of a sudden have another star that they could really focus on. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if, if you're talking about a challenger coming up and he destroys Kamar Usman, if, if Gilbert Burns does that, you know, that's easy to push forward and market and sell and you can throw anyone in with him and, and it'd be intriguing. And yes, the division feels stall. I, I think some matchmaking decisions over the last couple of years, didn't make sense. I really felt that the UFC had to have made George Masvidal and Leon Edwards way back when they had all their issue. That was the fight to make. It would have opened things up. It would have answered a lot. You know, of course, things didn't unfold that way. Um, you know, that fight still lingers, and Leon Edwards has dealt with a mess. And now Chemayev, I mean, COVID long haulers are a real deal thing. And if the guy's still feeling effects in his lungs and these fights have to be pushed back, I mean, who knows what that story is going to look like. Um, that's sad news to hear. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I think you got to make the fights when they're there. Um, and, you know, is there a fight that makes Kamar Usman or um, Gilbert Burns? Does it put them over? No, I don't, I don't think so in that weight class. I think that weight class has always been about competition, longevity, dominance. And if those things come into play, then then you can be marketable for the UFC based on the depth and the the number of contenders that were there to to really challenge great champion. This is a division of great champions. So I I guess to answer your question, Mike Usman winning, continuing his run, that's that's where the cachet is. That's where you can start building up legacy and legend. And um, you know, I don't think we'll ever get to the point with Kamara Usman that George St. Pierre is a real real option. But that discussion may linger, and that would help him as well. So Usman's the answer, but um, I, I don't know in the end that guy is the, the marketable fighter that the UFC would want to, to, to get over and, and, and really make big bucks in this weight class. All right, last thing before we move on to our next topic, because I was going to dive in deeper into this card, but I'm not going to anymore considering this news we just heard, Josh. Are we done with this Shamayev Edwards thing? Are we moving on now? Because, I mean, this is this is getting crazy now. This is, what, three times? Do we do we keep playing this game, or do we move on to other things? I mean, this this fight, this matchup doesn't have to happen. Like, it, it got thrown together because of circumstance, and then we felt like, oh, I, we want to see it, and it's got to happen, but it doesn't have to happen. So in a, in a lot of ways, you can put Chemayev with any top 15 guy 
any contender, any name, and people are going to be interested. Hopefully he's healthy enough to do that this year. You know, and I say this year and I, and I mean that hopefully, you know, he get he comes around quicker than that, but you never know. And Edwards is a top contender and he deserves to be considered a top contender. So, um, you know, there's names for him to fight. I, I want to see him fight George Mosvidal. Honestly, I still want to see that fight. I hope we get to see that fight. And there are other fights for him to make. Um, they have to make sense in terms of his ranking or you hold him out and have him fight the winner of Burns and Usman. But uh, no, I don't I don't feel like I have to see this fight. I don't have to see this fight. If it's destined to be, you know, these guys are both young in their careers still, and uh, they'll meet somewhere down the road. The way Chimaev has been rolling, he's going to be fighting for a title no matter what. And if Leon Edwards is that good, they'll they'll meet up again. So I'm not worried about it. You can break them off if they come back together at some point in the future. Terrific. If not, that's okay too. Stephen, we're done with this, right? Can, can we, can we no, move no. on? With, with yeah, yeah. Look, Leon Edwards has gotten screwed. He's really gotten <laughs> screwed. And for a lot of circumstances that were completely out of his control. This is number three against number 15. And we're doing this because Chemayev has his own gravity. And he's been so amazing. I mean, obviously, he's delivered in the cage, but he's got his own gravity in terms of the attention that he draws. Leon Edwards needs to move on, you know, independent of Chemayev. You know, he can't be the bar that uh, he had. Uh, Chemayev can't be the bar he has to clear to get a title shot at this point. He has done his job. He has trained. He has shown up. He's gotten COVID. You know, he's um, he's been stuck in the UK when this thing all went down. He had the fight with Tyron Woodley. Who knows where his career goes if he beats Tyron convincingly at that point. Um, it's unfair to make him wait and wait and wait. He's put together an eight-fight winning streak. Eight fights. That's really hard to do. And the division that I agree with Josh is really more about competition and dominance than necessarily star power. And I think that's, you know, we're seeing, we've seen that bucked a little bit because of some of the stars that have been created in this division. Um, You know, whether it's Shemaev or whether it's Masvidal or whether it's Covington, we've also seen the consequences of that because we have these guys who are now ma- uh, major stars, and it's tough to get them in the same cage. Uh, it's it's tough. To, it's tougher to make fights um, with these guys who um, bring all this attention and have their own following. But Edwards is a guy who's just been grinding, man. You know, he's been doing his thing, and he has beaten a lot of good names. And with this canceled, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it's Khabib, you know, Tony, but. Um, we might take a lesson from that and move on here. I would agree. We will see how all this shapes out. Maybe we'll have an answer. Maybe we won't. We'll see how UFC 258 shapes up, and we'll discuss all of this on the program next week. Uh, we will, of course, have all of your 258 coverage right here in MMA Fighting View in the live weigh-in show tomorrow, noon Eastern time, so stay tuned for that. As far as this matchup goes, we head to the final question of regulation, and in the lead, earning the point for round three is... Drum roll on time. Steven Morocco is up two to one. That was a tough one to score. That was like 10 to nine and three quarters. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. 
and Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. I hate being the judge. It sucks. So Doc are Hamilton. We doing half, are we doing half point scoring? Can we do that? Where's Doc yeah, Hamilton? That was, that, was, that, that, that was a quarter point difference. But uh, who knows what happens on live shows? Sometimes we get terrible breaking news, and, and here we go. But uh, we talked enough about the UFC. Let us move ahead to the world of Bellator MMA. They're their big press conference on Tuesday. We got a lot of news confirmed. First off, the company returns on April 2nd, headlined by Patricia Pipple versus Emmanuel Sanchez for the featherweight title. It's a semifinal for the Grand Prix. Winner's going to face AJ McKee in the finals. They also announced the kickoff of a light heavyweight Grand Prix that kicks off April 9th. First round wraps up April 16th with Yoel Romero versus Anthony Johnson headlining that card first round matchup. Of course, noteworthy, all those dates are Fridays, so they switch back to the Fridays from Thursdays. Plus, on top of all of that, Bellator's new home is Showtime. So another new network for Bellator is going to be Showtime. So a lot to unpack right there, Josh Gross. So to make this as simple as possible, how did they do? How did Bellator do? Um, well, it's nice to hear from them. So they did well. They dropped a lot of news <laughs> on us. Uh, the Showtime news, um, certainly no surprise to anybody who's followed the combination between Viacom and CBS and understanding what their commitment to mixed martial arts and Bellator look like and the relationship between Steven Espinoza at Showtime and Scott Bell- Scott Coker at Bellator. So all of that totally makes sense. The one thing I didn't hear was CBS and, you know, are they going to go on network television? That's the one big piece to drop. Um, for now, it seems like they're focused on Showtime, building the Bellator property around Showtime. This is a successful formula for Scott Coker. It worked with Force. They have a deep roster. You got excited about some of the fights there. I think a lot of people, uh, matchup-wise, about the light heavyweight tournament are going to be excited. Um, you know, I, I, I do feel like Bellator hit most of the right notes. Showtime hit most of the right notes. Um, you know, I, I guess we'll see how this kicks off in April. Three cards, three successive weekends in April, if that's right. And a bunch of title fights, a bunch of compelling fights with fighters that, whether you're a UFC watcher or you watch the entire sport, you're going to know Anthony Johnson and Yael Romero, and you're going to be interested in that fight, and you're going to want to watch that fight. And there's a lot of other matchups in this tournament that, that sort of check the right boxes. So, yeah, I, I think they got it correct. They announced enough. They took them long enough, but they announced enough. And they got enough stories out of uh, that event. And uh, the big news is that they have a home. And they are on solid footing in that home. And viewers know where they are and where they exist. And they're in a, they're in a place that has shown it has a serious commitment to combat sports and knows how to market and, and sell combat sports. And I think the partnership between Bellator and, and Showtime will be a successful one. Yes, as Joseph Boza mentioned, uh, Elator will be back in May as well for the Bantamweight title, Juan Archuleta versus Sergio Pettis. That should be fun. But what did you think, Stephen? How would you, uh, how would you, I guess, grade their press conference and the information we received? I felt like it was a slick press conference, but uh, ultimately I felt it was kind of like back to the future a little bit. Um, Josh and I have uh, been around a minute 
and we saw the the strike force uh, Casey too uh, and Esther who are uh, in the and, uh, in their apartment right now. Um, but uh, we've been around a bit. We've seen this. Uh, they did this with the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. I mean, what I'm talking about basically is like an assembly of talent um, to hook people in to this new uh, platform um, or new old platform because uh, Strike Force was on Showtime previously. Um, and it reunites, uh, you know, two two producers of content who uh, see things the same way. Um, Showtime, as as uh, Josh said, I think has more of an appreciation for combat sports. It's a smaller platform than Paramount per se, um, but it is considered to be premium content. It has a history of combat sports promotion. And I think that Steven Espinosa is a fan um, of, of the sport and wants to be involved in the sport. Not that Kevin K didn't. Kevin K obviously left um, in, the, in the middle of the Paramount tenure. Um, it's certainly better than CBS Sports Network as far as um, the cachet that it bring, brings to the promotion. My question is this. Um, are a collection of mostly former UFC light heavyweights more significant than some of the draws that they had in the heavyweight tournament, like Fedor and Overeem, who at that point hadn't made their jump yet? And uh, that's what I'm unclear on. Um, I think that the, these matchups offer you know, excitement, um, you know, you get guys in there that are big guys that like to throw down and, you know, it's, they, they tend to, uh, attract more casuals or whatever. Um, but you know, is it more, is it, is it enough to, to sort of put them on that next level, um, and to do better than what they did with some of their most successful shows rating wise, which was when they basically did nostalgia plays and they did Kimbo slice and Ken Shamrock, Tito Ortiz, Stefan Bonner. Those were the most successful shows from a rating ratings perspective for them. And their initial plan was to do those shows, have those tentpole events and build up a bunch of stars. And I think that they have built a, a bunch of stars up, but I also think that we're in a different time now. It's not 2010, it's 2021. And I think the sport is at a different level and um, the UFC is, remains a dominant force. Um, so I'm glad that they're moving forward with what they've got. I certainly think it's more attractive than a flyweight tournament, uh, which was their original plan. Um, but I think they, we still need to see how things play out with Showtime before we start making any, you know, huge conclusions about where they're headed. All right. A couple, couple of comments I want to address one, one, I saw one question about, uh, who would be the alternate is a gay guard Musasi. I will tell you, I don't know why it didn't happen, but I know I can tell you that Gegard Musasi was planned <laughs> to be in this tournament. I, I can tell you, he was offered and, and he, he wasn't interested. He, he focuses at 85 for him. That's my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. 
pretty much. That was they planned on bringing him in. Seemed like it was going to happen, and then for some reason it didn't. There we go. I think Josh kind of explained that. Uh, and then another thing, you know, there's this old cliche in everything that, especially when you have things that, you know, with these moving parts and things happening and big change and all that stuff, is, is it doesn't matter how you start, it's how you finish. So having said that, Josh Gross. Has Bellator laid the foundation, in your opinion, to have a massive year? Like, not a good year, but like a massive year. One, we're going to look back five, ten years from now and say, hey, remember what Bellator did in 2021? That was a great year. They knocked it out of the park. Do you think, are you confident enough that at the end of this year, if you come back on the show, we're going to be talking about how great of a year it was for Bellator? Are you going to tell me I'm not going to be reigning champion and I won't be guaranteed to be back on this show? Is that what you, Are we already at that point here? Hey, listen, maybe you're the Kamara Usman of the show and you're on forever. I, I, would, I would love that. Um, let me tell you what. I think Scott Coker is planned for this moment for, from the time he signed with the organization. Uh, they did a bunch of free agent signings, some older names, but at the same time they were cultivating talent, building talent up. And that talent has matured now to the point where they are ready to be showcased and given the reins. And while I think, you know, there's still going to be people say, oh, Bellator is just a place where old – UFC fighters go to die. Uh, that's a real lazy way of looking at what they're doing. And it really dismissive of Scott Coker and his vision as a promoter. I mean, this is almost now the strike force blueprint. Um, in fact, it's the strike force blueprint with more resources, better backers, a stronger foundation, and the kind of really sort of knowledge that he didn't have in a previous life. He, he went through it the first time with strike force. Now he's got all that experience in this moment with Bellator. The expectations have to be for a major year for that company. That has to be a year in which Bellator gets over with fans. I don't even know why I use that term. It's a pro wrestling term, but I guess people will understand it. It's a year that uh, Bellator has to give fights that excite people, and they need the fighters to deliver on those fights. So this is just not just a one-way street. The fighters have to deliver, and they generally have. I, I think they're extremely well-positioned. This is like an intentional moment in time. It didn't just happen this way. They built up to this moment. They have prepared to have a great 2021. And I, I think you have to expect it. So the answer is, is yes, uh, they are primed and ready for it. And I, I believe they're going to pull it off. But that's we don't know that. We'll see. But everything that they have in front of them says this is going to be a major year for Bellator. Steven, what, what do you think? Like if you had the Bellator crystal ball in front of you, is it like sunshine and, and roses and fans and money raining down in this, in this globe for 2021 because they made all these right choices? Or is it going to be a year where we're talking about Bellator? We're like, yeah, they had great ideas, but just didn't pan out the way we all hoped it would. I would make the argument that it's more on the fighters than it ever has been. Because when you talk about the blueprint, I mean, it's obvious that they're kind of running the same they're running from the same playbook. They've certainly got more history behind them, but they've done this before. They, you know, they're 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 going back on this on this platform with a big product, a uh, big splashy opening. I would argue it's more on the uh, uh, the fighters than ever to make a splash, because back in 2010, we didn't have as much content as we do now. We are drowning in content. We are drowning in MMA content when everybody gets back up and, and running and COVID takes the back seat or is mitigated in some way. We're drowning in content. There are going to be so many shows running. There's so much competition for talent. There, there's a lot of fatigue out there. So in my opinion, it's going to be about 
can these prospects like the Picos and the McKees and the Pitbulls, Pitbulls obviously not a prospect, um, but uh, can these Bellator stars deliver in a way that gets them over, creates the viral moments, and elevates the the platform as a whole? And that's you know something we're going to have to see. All I'll say is color me intrigued. Ladies and gentlemen watching right now, I, I love what they've been doing. And as a guy who like interviewed prospects for so many years, I love that they're signing some of these fighters that they're signing. I love the signings like the Jared Scoggin signings that we just saw Magomed Sharapov get signed. One of the Nermaga Madoffs, who many are saying is Usman is the best one, is the best out of all of them. So I'm like outside of Habib, obviously, but just they're doing such a great job signing these talented fighters one, for their own roster, and two, to keep them off the contender series and keep them out of the UFC. I love what they're doing. I love that they figured out the broadcast stuff in the UK so that those fans can watch these events live. It's good for Canada because I know they had a hard time last year just trying to find these freaking shows. I just hope this is the por- the formula for a long time. They stick on the same network. You want to you want to sprinkle in a CBS show? That's great, but keep things same network, same day of the week. Let's keep things consistent for a long period of time. Keep these big signings, the prospect, the free agent signings coming. I like what they're doing. And by the way, that also means the iconic voice of the show, Esther Lynn, is going to be back shooting MMA fights, hopefully. So uh, just like I like what these two gentlemen are doing. And with that, the points for round number four goes to... (laughs) It goes to Josh Gross. I love how the drums started for like... Just a quick rat tat, and then it just died. But uh, that means we're going to head to the knockout round. And as you know, one question will decide it all. Neither of these gentlemen know what this question is. And in fact, they will not be answering the same question this week. And for 2021, consistent viewers of the show, you know what that means. But be that as it may, each competitor will have 60 seconds to speak. Once they have done their thing, we will turn it over to the judge to render the final decision with the help, of course, of all of you wonderful viewers. So, Josh, you do have the champion's advantage here. Do you want to go first or would you like Steven to go first? No, I'll uh, I'll hit second. All right. Steven is used to this. I think he knows where we're going. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, for the knockout round this week, We've done this a couple of times. It is time for what am I thinking? We're back with what am I thinking? Hey, so how this is going to work is we will have four selections. Each competitor will choose a number between one and four. And each number will, will represent a fighter or someone who is tied to the world of combat sports in some way. And you will spend your 60 seconds speaking on behalf of said person. You don't have to do impressions or anything like that. If you want to, great. But you don't have to do that. But that's how this works. This person, you know, maybe is in the news, something going on involving them. But there you go. That's what we're going to do. I actually had about 15 names here. I put them in a hat and four were chosen at random. So, Stephen, please choose a number between one and four. Oh, three. Go in number three. All right. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock and then I'll reveal. Well, actually, hold on. I'm, I'm being told by the producer. By the way. Casey Lydon is not the judge this time around, all right? The judge is someone we just mentioned, the iconic voice of this program, the one who will be hopefully shooting lots of combat sports in 2021 with this new Bellator deal, the iconic Esther Lynn, ladies and gentlemen. Esther Lynn, right there in the bottom right-hand corner, will be listening to your answers and will be judging you for them. 
So we have one minute on the clock. Steven chose number three. Steven, you are Joe Rogan. You are Joe Rogan. 60 seconds. What is Joe Rogan thinking right now, Steven Morocco? Time starts now. Well, I'm thinking about how I just went on a sweet hunt with my uh, with my bro, Alex Jones and, and Eddie Bravo. And... Uh, Got a got a solid, you know, three point buck. We ate it raw <laughs> by the fire, um, with a side of on it uh, to, uh, you know, help our brains uh, function at a higher level. Uh, I am looking forward to going back to the UFC broadcast. Uh, frankly, I don't know what all this controversy is about. Um, I am the voice of the UFC. Um, I'm certainly better than Stephen A. Smith if we're talking about uh, uh, controversy in shows. So if you want a uh, link to the past of this sport and the ur bro of the UFC, you need me. <laughs> oh, well said, well said. All right. So Joe Rogan is off the table. You heard it, Esther Lynn. She responded in kind. If you uh, are watching right now, leave it in the comments what you thought of his answer. Josh Gross, you have three numbers to choose from. You can choose number one, number two, or number four. What are you going with? Number one. Number one. Josh Gross, you are Benil Dariush. You're Benil Dariush, <laughs> who got a big win over Carlos Diego Fajeda on Saturday night. Long winning streak. One minute on the clock. What are you thinking, Benil Dariush? Your time starts now. I'm probably pretty happy. I am happy, actually. I'm very happy. I'm Benil Dariush. And uh, I tend to enjoy myself and, and really love this game. And, uh, you know, when I'm when I'm out of the cage, I like to wear comfortable clothes, a lot of shorts. Um, but that's, that's all good because it goes with my flip-flops. And then I go to the gym and I train all the time because really that's what I do. I train and I fight. And I give amazing, happy press conferences most of the time or sort of self-reflective. Um, I, I should feel really good about myself. Uh, I had one of the best performances in my career over the weekend. It was a guy I already beat, but, um, you know, beat him again pretty good. Like, I dominated him. And uh, he tested me, but, you know, it wasn't that not that much. Um, I, look, I think I'm right there. I mean, give me, give me anybody. I don't like calling people out necessarily. <laughs> But um, sometimes you got to. So, uh, Conor McGregor, I don't want Conor McGregor. I want a title. Give me a title. (laughs) This is my favorite segment on the show. I love this so so much. By the way, (laughs) the other two two names, number two was Paige Van Zandt, by the way. And number four was Habib Uh. Nurmagomedov. But there are lots of fun names that were in the hat. Gina Carano was in there. Uh, Britton Hart was in there. There were there were lots of fun names in there. Conor McGregor was in there, and so forth and so on. But those are the four we came up with. Uh, normally, we would turn this over to Casey, but we're going to turn it over to the iconic voice of Esther Lynn in a matter of moments. We're going to let the comments sort of come up and catch up in the chat. Uh, but just a reminder, we get you covered with 258 coverage, weigh-ins tomorrow, like we discussed. We've got a preview show tomorrow afternoon. Then we get the pre-fight show 30 minutes before where we answer all of your questions, and then we'll have the post-fight winners, scrums, because Jose Youngs is in Vegas right now. we got the press conference, post-fight show, et cetera. On to the next one on Sunday. So stick with us is basically what I'm saying. All right. Hopefully we have tallied the votes in the uh, the comments. Let us check in with the honorable, iconic Esther Lynn to render the final decision. Who gets the strap, Esther? 
so I've been looking at the comments and I, I kind of have to agree with Jeremiah K is that even though I really liked Steven's rendition of Joe Rogan because of his hunting and <laughs> on it. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. <laughs> hmm. Well, I'm glad I'm... Have you, have you made a decision? Yes. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Josh Gross, sorry. Again. Josh Gross uh, gets it done. Uh, why, why is it Josh Gross? Sorry. Why is it Josh Gross? <laughs> <laughs> because I like both of them very much. But I, I will say in the comments, Jeremiah K brought up, he said, uh, two out of ten because there wasn't enough DMT talk. Steven, oh, I sat on a fence and mentioned DMT and shrooms. You not know, enough psychedelic really drugs, Steven. Yeah, not, not fair, enough fair point. Fair point. Not a problem with Benil. No psychedelic drugs with Benil. We're good. Yeah, I, I wear comfortable clothes. <laughs> Benil Dariush. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was pretty on when Benil Darius was like, oh, he wouldn't he wouldn't call anybody out, which he wouldn't. It was last week. You could see that he was upset that he still hasn't gotten bigger fights, but he still wouldn't say it. (laughs) I love how he called out the matchmakers and then he at his post fight scrum, he apologized for calling out the matchmakers and the matchmaking. So classic Benil Darius. But Josh Gross, you win again. So you have 30 seconds Mm -hmm. to talk about whatever it is. In this. Um, thank you so much. This is amazing, Stephen. Um, I'm I'm glad to have uh, competed against you twice. I will now move on from you, and um, I'm not sure what to do in terms of challenges or whatever. Maybe Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz can come on here and do this show. What do you think about that? Um, I uh, I don't know that I have anything on my mind except that there's an awesome mixed martial arts fight this weekend, and too many times people get caught up in stuff that doesn't matter. Just remember that uh, Kamar Uthman and uh, Gilbert Burns is a great fight. It's a tremendous fight. And Gilbert Burns is this fight. And Kamar Uthman's an amazing champion. And um, if you like mixed martial arts, you got to be hyped for this fight. It's a tough question. Do you want to fork over your money or not? This, To me, this is a bar fight. I'm sitting in a bar to watch this fight. Can't do it yet. So that's a tough call. But um, they deserve your respect. Give them your respect. Watch the fight if you can. If not, you know, it's, we'll... we'll UFC's got to pay for it, but it hurts the fighters. It's a tough choice for everybody right now. Difficult times. Uh, all I would say, thank you very much, and um, that's all I got for you. Until next time. All right, you're you're back next week, Josh. Can we uh, can we confirm this? I mean, I can't, I can't lose. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think we have somebody in mind for you, Josh. I think we have somebody in mind. Sort of a dream matchup here uh, with the folks here at MMA Fighting. But uh, Stephen, a hell of a run. I think you've been on the show every week. Uh, of 2021 outside of week one. Uh, how do we feel here? I mean, I think this is what the fourth in a row you were on. Exhausted. I'm emotionally <laughs> and otherwise exhausted. Um, also, I have to post something like ASAP right now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's wrap this up. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that's it, everybody. Thank you for watching. For Josh Steven, Casey Lydon on the production, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn is going to take you out of here. I am Mike Heck. We'll see you back here next week once again between the links. Good night, everybody.
This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.